Today, after a week away, we return to the lectionary and we begin a season of fall that is filled with parables. I believe we'll go through about eight of them before Christmas. Parables are stories uh, used to illustrate a larger point. In the Gospels, Jesus uses parables uh, through everyday things of the first century world to illustrate what life in God's kingdom looks like. In other words, parables are supposed to be at odds with the way things currently are in the world. When we hear them, we're supposed to be challenged, confused, perhaps even troubled by them, that we might be moved to live more into God's kingdom today in this world. It's almost as if these passages allow us to put on special glasses that we might look at our community and our world through parable eyes to see the world around us as God sees it. Today, the lectionary passages are focused on the theme of forgiveness. In the first lesson, we see Joseph extend forgiveness to his brothers for selling him into slavery. As Joseph says the powerful line, Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In the second, we see Jesus tell a parable about forgiveness, using commonly understood financial terms, debts and debtors. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning with the 21st verse. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made." So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a teenager, I remember that moment of being really excited to learn how to drive a car. I still remember driving for the first time on the dirt roads in rural central Michigan. I do also remember that while I was excited, 
my mother was probably equally frightened to be helplessly behind the wheel of an inexperienced teenage driver. Parents of grown children, I'm guessing you know what that feels like. But after a few times, as I became a little more confident, my mother's anxiety calmed. You know, I find it funny how the basics of driving stay with us throughout adulthood and become almost second nature. The proper amount of touch needed to slow a vehicle to a halt. The ability to parallel park. Um, To be honest, I haven't figured that one out. But one of the things that stuck with me was not a technique or traffic law, but rather an ethical code that drivers adhere to. I was in traffic for the first time as a young driver and found myself having to turn onto a busy street, much like uh, you trying to turn onto US 29 at a busy time of day. And I had trouble finding any space to make a turn. But eventually, one kind stranger flicked their headlights, indicating that they were letting me in. My mother then said, that's the way it works. Someone has let you in, so you better let someone else in next time. Our second lesson, the parable of the unforgiving servant, as this passage is called, is one of the more challenging and troubling passages or parables in the Bible. It's important to remember that parables in Jesus' time were a form of rhetorical hyperbole, or intentional exaggeration, in other words. Uh, In fact, parable and hyperbole have the same Greek ending. It's the word vale, which means to place or put beside. The word parable actually means to place two or more things beside each other for the uh, purpose of comparison. So Jesus uses the story of a king settling accounts, that is, debts, with his servants as a way of talking about what God's kingdom is like, what ethics looks like in God's uh, kingdom and rule. But before this, Peter asks a question that gets the whole thing started. His question is about forgiveness. Leading up to this passage, uh, this, this whole chapter 18 is all about life in the Christian community, life in the church. And so Peter's question is how to forgive someone in your community, in your church. Specifically, how many times should I forgive someone? He gives a really ambitious guess. He guesses seven, which at first seems like kind of a random number to throw out there. But seven is an important number in the Bible. It represents completion, fulfillment. So for Peter to suggest that we are to forgive someone times, felt, someone seven times feels like an above and beyond gesture, a complete and full forgiveness. But Jesus, of course, one-ups this by saying not seven times, but 77 times. For the time period and the significance of seven, Jesus might as well have said, you need to forgive someone a million bajillion times. It's as if he made up an absurdly high number. He makes up a number so big to represent our obligation to extend infinite forgiveness and peace to others. This exchange predicates the parable that Jesus tells. So there's a king who has lots of land and servants. The guy does okay, to say the least. One day, this king decided to settle his accounts, that is, his debts, with his servants, One of these servants came before him owing 10,000 talents. 
learning that the servant was not able to pay the debt as no servant would be able to pay a debt that large. The Lord ordered for he and his family to be sold. But the servant pleaded with his Lord for mercy, for forgiveness, to uh, ask for more time to pay back the debt. The king was moved to pity and forgave the man his debt, setting him free. Notice he doesn't defer the debt, allowing him to pay it back eventually, or maybe over a smaller uh, increment over a longer time period. The king flat out forgives the debt. But as the freed slave goes on his way, he comes across another, a servant who owed him a hundred denarii. He forces the guy to pay what he owes. The man pleads with him for patience, very similarly. Uh, But the freed servant refuses, sending him to prison until the debt is paid off. Let's put this in perspective for a moment. The freed slave's debt with the king was 10,000 talents while the debt of the other servant was 100 denarii. Sources vary slightly on this, but one talent was the uh, equivalent of about 6,000 denarii. So the freed slave's debt was significantly more, many, many times more than that of the slave who owed him a debt. One source said that a single denarius was the equivalent of 20 years' labor for the common worker. So again, Jesus uses a number so absurdly big that it might as well be made up. Saying that the uh, servant owed the king a million bajillion dollars. A number so large that his listeners without a doubt would have had to laugh at the absurdity of it. The king hears of his former servant's deeds and calls him back into question. Pointing out his hypocrisy and calling him to account on it. Like we've reflected on before, parables are one of the key tools in Jesus' toolbox. Using these stories to illustrate the kingdom of God has helped followers live into God's rule since the church's beginning. There are many, many ways that one could read this parable, no one way necessarily more right than another. Remember, Jesus usually doesn't explain the meaning of a parable, except that it resembles the kingdom of God. So here's one such way of reading the parable. In this parable, we are the servant. God is the king. We owe this king a debt. We've sinned. In fact, since our first parents in the garden, we are so sinful that our whole lives are corrupted. This is what Reformed theologians have called total depravity. The idea that humans are so marred by sin and brokenness that we are unable to follow God on our own. In other words, we're unable to help ourselves. In Christ, all of our debts, all of our shortcomings, all of our brokenness have been forgiven. And this is a great forgiveness for a debt larger than we can even comprehend. Think a million bajillion dollars. Through this forgiveness, we have been reconciled with God and each other. That is, these relationships that were previously broken have been restored. So when someone is indebted to us or wrongs us, we are to extend this attitude of grace because this is what we learn from the God we know in Christ. That is how Christ instructs his followers to live into the reality of God's kingdom, to remember the forgiveness of God by extending that grace to others and seeking reconciliation 
with our neighbors. So the challenge to us as Christians today is to reflect on how we have experienced grace, where our debts have been forgiven. In something as simple as a person letting you in on the highway, in something as profound as forgiving an act of cruelty or hurt, in something as ultimate as our own sin, our own brokenness, our greatest debt, as we all experience the forgiveness of God in Christ. And once we can articulate where we have experienced grace, how might we extend that grace to others? By something as innocent as letting that stressed-out young parent in the grocery store check out in front of you? Trust me, I've been there. Or not complaining about poor service by a waiter or waitress in a restaurant when he can tell they've had a bad day? Or maybe through something as pivotal as extending grace to someone with whom you've had a falling out, seeking reconciliation with someone for whom you disagree. Or possibly by showing hospitality to those who are considered to be outcasts in our society. Friends, our debt has been forgiven. A broken relationship has been restored. So how will we respond? Will we respond by calling out others who are indebted to us? Or has this experience of grace truly transformed and changed who we are? If so, we are to respond by extending that grace to others, showing the radical and transformational grace of God to the world. As Christ has called us, may we seek forgiveness and extend this kingdom grace, this kingdom forgiveness to others, that our lives and our world may be made whole. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.